0: morning, it's good to see every one of you here. It's great to be together to sing God's praises and to hear from the word of God. We're going to look just in a moment at Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 to 46. We'll read that passage in just a moment. I wonder if you've ever been reading a book or watching a film or a TV series and there's a mystery that keeps you in suspense right until the big reveal at the end. You know, maybe it's that there's, you know, there's a murder mystery or something and the, the culprit is the last person that you would have expected. And, of course, they've led you up to think that that person was, was the goodie. And then it turns out that they are actually the culprit. I remember back in the 1980s, if I don't know if you, if you were at school in the 1980s, you'll maybe get this analogy, and if not, then you can look it up on YouTube later. But there was a, there was a TV series, a children's school TV series called Look and Read. And Look and Read, as uh, the name implies, was a series that helped uh, young primary school age children to learn to read. And each series was framed around a story. Um, now, there's a, a really brilliant one called Dark Towers, and if you want to uh, if you want to know where it was filmed, we went to see it recently, it's down near Bristol, and we went, had a wee look, the, the house is still there where it was filmed, and that's quite exciting. But there was another series called, oh, what was it, Sky Hunter? Sky Hunter it was called. And it was all about some children trying to crack the mystery of uh, bird-egg smugglers who were up to no good. And, of course, there was this chap who owned an antique shop and he seemed like he was the good guy right until the big reveal when it turned out that Mr. Prim the antique shop owner was actually a crook unquote. So that was quite I still remember the moment of that reveal I thought I did not see that coming I look back at it now and wonder how I didn't see it coming but you know there you go now, there's a point to that we're going to read a passage just now, Matthew 21 verse 28 we're going to see the Lord Jesus telling two parables And you're going to see that in both cases he invites the audience. And the audience is by and large religious leaders, chief priests and elders. And they're listening and he's going to invite them to actually give their verdict and to condemn the guilty party essentially. And then there's the big reveal that indicates that actually they themselves, who they've just condemned with their own mouth, are indeed the guilty party. So watch how he does that as we read this from Matthew 21 and verse 28. And the Lord Jesus says what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds. Because they held him to be a prophet. We've read the word of God together. It's a great privilege, isn't it? And we trust that the Lord will add his blessing to, to what, we've, what we've read so here the Lord Jesus is he's in the temple in Jerusalem you remember how just a couple of days previously he's entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey the triumphal entry and then he's cleansed the temple he's driven out those who are buying and selling and changing money and he's driven them out of the temple and then the chief priests and elders have challenged his authority and said "You know, but what authority are you doing these things who gave you this authority we heard all about that last week and now the Lord Jesus tells two parables that we've looked at today And these parables are going to show the religious leaders up for exactly... It's going to show them what they are. It's going to show them in the first parable, the parable of the two sons, to be hypocrites. Hypocrites. And we're going to see in the parable of the two sons, verses 28 to 32, hypocrisy versus repentance. And then in the second parable about the tenants, we're going to see them as willful rejecters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see from verses 33 to 46 willful rejection. So let's look at this first parable of the two sons, verses 28 to 32. Now it's it's a really nice straightforward parable, isn't it? A man has got two sons, and he's got a vineyard. And both sons are given the same instruction, son, go and work in the vineyard today. The first son is openly rebellious and defiant. I will not, was his answer. Not going. But afterward, he has a change of mind. Or, if you like, he repents. He changes his mind, he turns around, and he turns around from his defiant, rebellious, I will not, to obedience. And he goes. The other son, son number two, he sounds obedient and respectful, doesn't he? Comes out with all the right words. I go, sir, he says. He sounds the part. He looks the part. But he's a fake. It's all about what he says and it's all for show. Does he go? No, he does not go. And the Lord Jesus asks the audience, well, tell me, who, which of the two did the will of the Father? And they say, quite rightly, the first. The one who, although initially refusing to go and being rebellious and defiant, he repents and he realises how wrong he was and turns around from that and there's evidence of, the change of, of his change of heart because he goes and he changes his mind and he goes and works in the vineyard now the Lord Jesus makes it especially easy for his audience here because he interprets the parable for them he says here's what this is about you know there were two sons the one that was openly rebellious and said no I'm not going but afterward he changed his mind and he goes the other son said all the right things looked apart I go sir but didn't go he was a fake, he was a hypocrite here's what the Lord Jesus says the tax collectors he talks about first of all the tax collectors, they were the people You know, imagine the scene you've got all the religious authorities all the people who the world would have thought were the good people you know the chief priests and elders and religious leaders, and they would have been looked up on as being the ones that were the good people. And you get them, and suddenly the Lord Jesus introduces to this conversation someone who, in society's expectations, would have been the, the other end of the spectrum—a tax collector. Now, it wasn't just that tax collectors were disliked because they took your money; bad enough, but it's quite legitimate—we pay our taxes. That's that's legitimate. But tax collectors in those days were particularly despised. There was often questions raised about their honesty, and so they were viewed as being dishonest. They were viewed as being traitors in a sense, because they were they, they essentially sold out to the occupying Roman forces. And the occupying Roman forces, you know, the the enemy essentially, that sold out to them, working for them, taking money from their own people to give to the occupying Roman authorities. And that was not looked kindly on. So in society's hierarchy from good people To bad people, the tax collectors were down there in the estimations, at least, of the religious leaders. So the tax collectors he introduces. And then prostitutes, and obviously again, looked down on. Their immoral way of life would mean they were looked down on. And again, in society's estimations, you'd have had the religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, all of them. They thought they were up there, and way down, so they would have estimated at the other end of the spectrum were the tax collectors and the prostitutes and here's the big reveal here's the big reveal who is it who's doing the will of God who is it who's entering the kingdom of God here's the, here's the jaw dropping moment for the audience is it the religious leaders lots of show lots of Doing things for appearances. Lots of saying the right words. Lots of be- going to the right places. Lots of making sure that appearances looked good. Was it them? Or was it the tax collectors and prostitutes? And the Lord Jesus says, Truly I say to you, verse 31, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. The ones who knew that they were sinners. The Bible tells us we've all sinned. It's just that some people refuse to recognize that. The Bible tells us that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But these tax collectors and prostitutes were people who had come face to face with their own sinfulness. You know, they probably knew that. And they'd repented. And they'd believed. You know, John had come preparing the way for the Lord Jesus. And John had come speaking about The fact that the Lord Jesus would come, and way back in Matthew chapter 3, we read all about that. And who were the ones who had listened? Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious authorities, had been kind of curious and kind of interested to know what was going on. But who were the ones who had repented? Who were the ones who had had that change of mind, that turning around, that saying, Well, I get this. I'm a sinner in the sight of the holy, righteous God of heaven. And I need to have that change of heart, that turning around. Who had repented? Who had believed? Who had believed the message? Well, what's the message of the Bible? Who do we believe in? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And who was it who had repented and believed? Who was it whose lives actually bore evidence that there had been a change in their life? it was the as the Lord Jesus put it, the tax collectors and the prostitutes it wasn't the ones who kept up appearances it wasn't the ones who went through religious rituals and um, said the right words and went the right places and did what looked to all intents and purposes like the right thing while their heart was a million miles from God and their heart was consumed by pride it was the ones who confessed their sin The ones who repented. The ones who believed. The message of the Bible is still the same. You know, there's no point in us kidding ourselves, is there? There's no point in us keeping up appearances and trying to look good in the eyes of those around us. Because God knows the truth about us just as much, even more, than we know the truth about ourselves. He knows the state of our sinful heart. And... Keeping up appearances, putting on a show, saying the right words, going the right places, it's just not going to cut it, is it? Being a fake, it's not going to cut it with God, is it? It's the tax collectors and the prostitutes, like son number one who had initially been defiant and rebellious. Well, the defiance and the rebellion isn't condoned. But the repentance is what's needed, because that's what's needed in every one of our lives is to realise how guilty we are in the sight of the Holy God of Heaven. And to turn around and to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as the Lord Jesus turned the turned the spotlight on the audience, I guess we're kind of invited to do the same. And each look at ourselves. And say, What well, you know, if I if I can be so bold, I'm not looking for people to start, you know, putting their hand up or, you know, anything, but just answer this in the in the quietness of your own heart and in the sight of the Holy God of Heaven. You know, which of these two sons are you? Are you the are you the second son? Are you the one that goes the right places and says the right things and knows the right language to come out with? And looks the part and sounds the part and anyone looking on would think, oh yeah, that person's a really good person. Maybe they'd, maybe they'd even say, oh yeah, that person's a really good Christian, but you know they don't see the heart and you're just going through the motions and you're just keeping up appearances and you're like the the son who said well I go sir I'll do the right thing but doesn't obey and your heart's far from God or are you like son one, who had a really bad start says I won't go I'm not going to obey you he's defiant, he's rebellious but then realises the error of his ways and the fact that he's done wrong and he repents and he's changes his mind and, and and he goes you know are you that are you that son? are you the one who says well there's a lot of stuff in my life and in my past and even in my present that I just I wish it was different and there's things in my past that if I could go back and change I would do it in an instant and I would change it all and I wouldn't get into that mess I got into and I wouldn't Get into that thing that took hold of it, or whatever it is. And you say, I wish I could change it. And you say, there's so much in the past that I'm I'm not proud of, and so much pain in the past, and you know, for a while you've thought, well, I don't want to go God's way. I want to go my own way. Maybe for a while you've rejected Christianity and thought, well, the last thing I want is a bunch of people looking down their noses at me as you know if you encounter people who, who happen like the hypoc- hypocritical religious leaders and you see the thing is the opportunity for repentance for turning around and having that change of mind and the opportunity to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is an opportunity that's actually presented to everyone it's just that the, the folks who were like son number one took that opportunity and repented they'd been rebellious they'd done wrong, there were things in their past that they wished they could change but they still had the opportunity to repent and believe and that's the wonderful news of the gospel is that though we are all guilty sinners, though we all have things in our past that we wish we could go and change The only one who can give us new life that new start is the Lord Jesus when we repent and when we put our trust in him. I've told you a little bit before about somebody that I know who's called Simon. And quite a number of years ago Simon kindly wrote down his story and we turned it into a little leaflet to give out to folks. And uh, He also shared his story and uh, at that time I was doing a a radio program where I spoke to some people who told a bit of their story of how they became a Christian Simon told his story and here's some of the things I'll not read the whole thing because it it runs to two pages but uh, here's what Simon said it's summed up, the, the headline on it is I had always thought that I was too sinful to be forgiven here's some of the things he says I left school at the age of 16 no job just a dream of living a riotous life becoming a rock star and dying young by the time I was 20 I was spending a lot of days in the pub I got a drink driving conviction after an accident realised I couldn't stop drinking eventually I felt like an outcast of the society that I'd once felt part of one hot afternoon I was on the sofa with a thick coat on lonely shivering with cold sweat dripping down my cheeks and tears in my eyes I said if there's a God help me now A little while later, a decorator came to paint our house. We struck up a friendship. He told me about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. He invited me to the gospel hall to hear more. I had always thought that I was too sinful to be forgiven. I had been taught that if I behaved, I would go to heaven. And I had been so full of sin and hate, I figured there was no way out. And now the gospel was telling me that there's forgiveness of sin. by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour. I was saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a hymn writer says, my chains fell off. My heart was free. And uh, if you've met Simon and some of you have, as I've told you before, I think, is Sonia's brother-in-law is my wife's brother-in-law, and uh, you know, she saw the transformation in front of her eyes. The transformation when someone who thought that he was beyond hope. Someone who thought that he was too sinful to be forgiven. Someone who knew that he was a sinner. But thought there was no hope. And the Bible says there's hope. The Bible says there's the opportunity for that change of mind, just like that first son. For repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. to the Lord Jesus telling these two parables and he's speaking to his audience and the religious leaders are listening and now he goes on and uh, he talks about the tenants in the second parable verses 33 to 46 so the religious leaders, they've been outed as hypocrites, you know, they're the sort of people, they've been revealed for who they are they claim to be obedient to God but it's all for show and that's all it is and he now takes them on further and shows them to be outright willful rejectors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who actually therefore place themselves in line for his judgment. So, second parable. The tenants. Again we've got a vineyard. Now immediately when there's a mention of the vineyard. probably of the audience. They're thinking, oh vineyard. We've heard of that in the Old Testament. And they think about Isaiah 5 and 1 to 7. And it talks about uh, Israel and Judah as being a vineyard. And God's Caring for it and cultivating it, and that 's Isaiah five and one to seven because the the application gets broadened out a bit further in this paragraph to be applied to the to, to the kingdom of God and basically the idea of a vineyard back in New testament times in 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 Israel um, the hillsides of Palestine were covered with Grape vineyards. They were actually they were actually quite a quite a money spinner. They were a mainstay of the economy. And often, what would happen would be a wealthy person would uh, buy a piece of land on one of these hillsides, and he would develop it for a vineyard. First thing he would do is he would put a wall of stone or a hedge round it to protect it from wild animals coming and uh, destroying the vines and taking the, the grapes. Protect it from wild animals. Protect it from thieves. So he put the, the wall of stone or the hedge round it. And he would dig a wine press, and that would be sometimes have to be cut right out of bedrock. And he would dig down, and it would be an upper basin where the grapes would be squeezed, and then the juice would run down through a trough into a lower basin, and from there the grape juice could be collected into wineskins or clay jars and stored. And then often the owner would build a tower as well. And the tower would have various functions. It would have a lookout function, so if anyone was coming to attack or steal from this vineyard, then... They see, hopefully, from the lookout, and it also provided shelter, of course, for the workers, and it could also provide a place for seed and implements and so on to be to be stored. So there was a lot went into developing a vineyard, and a lot of care that went into developing a vineyard, and that's pretty much what the Lord Jesus describes here, isn't it? Master of a house, planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, just like what we described, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and then he leased it to tenants because often. In those situations, somebody particularly if they were wealthy and a business person, then they would, uh, they, they would maybe have business in a far off area in another country and so they would lease it to tenants. Their job would be to run the vineyard and to bring in the fruit and then obviously they would get, to, they would get their portion as the as their recompense for their efforts and the, the, the owner would get what he was due. So, so far so good. Leases it to tenants and goes off to a far country, another country. And then the season for fruit comes, so he sends the, the owner sends his servants uh, to the tenants and says, My master is looking for his fruit. Thank you very much. And the audience would be maybe quite aghast at the reaction of the tenants. The tenants were in quite a good number, they were going to look out for okay here, you know. But they think they don't just want some, they want it all. And they don't want the owner to have what is rightfully his. And so they take the servants verse 35. They beat one they kill one they stone another and the audience already would be sitting thinking that's, this is this is pretty extreme this sounds like quite a dreadful outrageous course of action but they listen on and the Lord Jesus says well here's what happens next. The owner of verse 36 sends more servants more than the first And they do the same to them. And the audience by this point must be thinking this is utterly outrageous. Killing, stoning the owner, the vineyard owner's servants. Dreadful, shameful, outrageous behaviour. So the owner finally sends his son, verse 37, says, They'll respect my son. The tenants. They know who it is. They know that this is the son of the owner. They say this is the heir. Let's kill him. Let's kill him and have his inheritance. And that's exactly what they do. They take him. They kill him. Throw him out of the vineyard and they kill him. Verse 39. And again the Lord Jesus does one of those moments. Where you get the kind of. The shocking truth about who the guilty party is. The Lord Jesus says to the audience, these religious leaders listening, what's the owner of the vineyard going to do? What's he going to do when he comes? What's he going to do to those tenants who've killed and beaten and stoned servants and then killed the owner's son? Oh, they're quite rightly full of a bit of righteous indignation at what has gone on. They say he'll put these wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And they're right. And now the Lord Jesus brings them face to face with the truth about who these wretches, as they've described themselves, actually are. He says, you never read in the scriptures, a bit of irony there, a bit of sarcasm, because just a few days earlier, on Palm Sunday, part of Psalm 118 had been getting quoted as the Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And he takes them to Psalm 118 and he says, do you know what? Have you never read Psalm 118? And they're like, of course we have. Here's what it says. The stone, Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the idea behind that was that when a building was being built, the builders would look at the stones, and if there was one that they didn't think should be used, that they thought was not suitable for the building, they'd reject it and say, well, not use that stone. The cornerstone was the most essential bit of the building. I'm not a builder, I'm not an architect but in the presence of an architect so I'm going to have to be very careful what I see here but apparently the proper placement and alignment of every part of the building came from getting the cornerstone right the, corner, the cornerstone had to be right for everything else in that building to be aligned and to be in a proper place so there's a stone that the builders rejected it's become the cornerstone Well, who's the Lord Jesus speaking about? Well, we don't need to look too far to to get an answer to that. Because in Acts chapter 4, we see a quotation of exactly that same psalm. And we're told very clearly, as Peter was speaking to, surprise, surprise, some of the religious authorities, he was saying who the cornerstone is. This Jesus, chapter, well, I'll tell you from verse 10. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Acts, Acts 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all, to, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, he's saying to the religious authorities whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders he's saying to the religious leaders which has become the cornerstone. And, he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So who's the stone? This Jesus, we read from Acts 4, is the stone. Who rejected him? The religious leaders. And the religious leaders are brought face to face with the meaning of the parable. They've condemned themselves out of their own mouths, really, haven't they? They've talked about these wretches that should be put to a miserable death. And the vineyard let out to other tenants. And we're seeing the context now. You see, all through the history of Israel, they had a great privilege. They had the truth of God revealed to them. And God had sent prophets. And many times those prophets had been rejected as they came to the people of Israel with God's message. Sometimes those prophets were rejected. Sometimes they were stoned. Tradition has it that Isaiah was sawn in two with a wooden saw. We don't read it in Scripture, but secular tradition would hold that. Jeremiah, we read from Scripture, was thrown into a pit of slime. Tradition holds that he was stoned to death. And God sent messenger after messenger after messenger with his message. And the people of Israel Rejected them and rejected the message. Finally, you got it. God sent his son. God sent his son. Just look in this passage. Finally, he sent his son to them. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Surely, the people will recognize and respect and listen to the Son of God. But no. Because here's what was actually happening as the Lord Jesus was in the temple there speaking to them and they're rejecting him. And they're saying no, we'll not have this man to reign over us as they would say. And they're rejecting him and and they would go on just in a very short period of a few days to be crying out for him to be crucified. And they would have him put to death just outside the city of Jerusalem. And that's what they did when God sent his son. Of course, we know that God had a purpose. That the Lord Jesus would go to that cross. Man vented his hatred though against the Lord Jesus and, you know, they rejected him. Although God's purpose was that he would come and that he would die, the Lord Jesus would die for us and he would give himself for us the perfect son of God dying on that cross taking the punishment for our sin that price we could never pay all those things we talked about earlier that we wish we could go and change and we just can't and we can't erase the past and we can't sort ourselves out and the Lord Jesus paid the price that satisfies God's righteous demands that holy God who is a God of love and a righteous God and a God who must judge sin and God himself provided the way that we could be forgiven that we could be saved and it was at that cross at Calvary but from the people's perspective they rejected every messenger God sent and they rejected the Son of God and cried out for him to be crucified and so that's the tenants. What would be the outcome for, them, for, for the people who had rejected the one who's been revealed to be represented in the parable as the, as the son of God? Well, they would have to face judgment. The relig- religious leaders, when invited to give their verdict, said they'll put to a miserable death. The vineyard will be let out to other tenants who give them the fruits in their season. And uh, the Lord Jesus goes on. And once he's revealed that actually his identity as the cornerstone. And he says in verse 44. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. The one who, you know, the one who rejects the Lord Jesus. Has to face the righteous judgment of God. For rejecting the way that God himself has provided. His own son. And suddenly they see it again we've' we're really brought down to two categories of people in this in this parable you know we've got the tenants representing the people of Israel specifically the religious leaders here have been invited to see themselves in this parable and they've had immense privilege and they've had all, all the opportunities and they've Probably grown up knowing all about God. And knowing the scriptures as they had them then. And yet they reject the Lord Jesus. And again, if I can be so bold, let's just invite you to see if there's anything you recognize of yourself there. You know, you're probably not a religious leader in Israel, but you might have had all the privilege. You might have been brought up to know the Bible and know who God is and know that the Lord Jesus died for your sins and know that in the words of Acts 4 and 12 there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and yet you willfully reject him just like those tenants did. What a solemn thing. And what a solemn, solemn thing. You see, with privilege comes responsibility. What a solemn, solemn thing to reject. The Son of God. But then you might be like the folks that are kind of alluded to in this parable at the end. Because the Lord Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, he says to the the, the people who rejected him, and given to a people producing its fruits. Evidence of repentance, evidence of faith. And you see, it might be that you've not had the privilege. You've not been brought up with privilege. You know, you've you've not been brought up to know the Bible. You've not been brought up to know about God. You know, maybe younger you would have been shocked if you had thought that at this point in time, today, you'd be sitting in a meeting like this. So maybe you didn't have the privilege growing up, and maybe, maybe you wonder, is there hope for me? And this parable tells us, yes. And the previous parable tells us yes. Because what counts with God isn't privilege. It's repentance and faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what counts with God. And so if you're here today, you've got the opportunity. Or if you're watching online today, you've got the opportunity to respond. To have that change of mind, that turnaround from your sin, that repentance And to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. Because that's what God looks for. He doesn't look for show. He doesn't look for appearances. He doesn't look for who's had the privilege in life. Who's had the privileged upbringing. So how would the chief priests and Pharisees react? How would they respond to this parable? Oh, they could see it, couldn't they? Verse 45, they could see that he was speaking about them. It wasn't that they couldn't see it. And it wasn't that they had a lack of evidence. That wasn't what stopped them believing. It was a willful determination not to believe. They see that he's speaking about them. And what do they do? Do they say, oh, we better repent and believe? Well, that would have been the sensible thing, wouldn't it? That would have been the right thing. (laughs) No, they decide they're going to arrest him. Willful, determined unbelief. And they only stopped at that point because of fear of the crowds. So, the religious leaders did not come out of this in a good way. They were marked by hypocrisy, claiming to do the will of God, but not doing it. And they were marked by willful, determined rejection of the Lord Jesus. But there were the others that the Lord Jesus referred to. Those who were looked down on. In that society, it was the tax collectors and it was the prostitutes. Those who were looked down on by the religious authorities. Those are people who would have thought, oh, have they got any chance, any hope, any, you know, are they going to get anywhere with God? And the Lord Jesus says, yes. Because what he looks for is repentance and faith. So let's just pull it all together and one more time just invite you all to examine your own heart. If I can be so, so bold. Say, what about you? Where are you in this passage? Have you been happy to settle for looking the part, knowing the right things to say and the right way to act and in among the right people? While well, your heart's far from God? Or are you saying, Well, there's a lot of stuff I I wish I could change about my past? But I can't. But Jesus died for me. I'm turning to him and trusting in him maybe maybe you think you're the last person who would ever have the opportunity to be in heaven but you know what the bible tells us actually that's every one of us is the last person to have the opportunity to be in heaven if it depended on us not one of us would be there if we were trying to get there on our own strength and so it puts us all on the same level that we must repent and we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so the chief priests had the opportunity to respond the Pharisees had the opportunity to respond and they rejected but you know you've got the opportunity to respond this morning and you've got the opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus and if you want to talk more about that as always I'm going to linger out in the foyer and chat and just you know if you want to chat more just say can we have a chat about this Don't don't let anyone distract you from anything until this is important. This is this is the most important thing, literally ever. So you know, let's let's get this settled. Let's let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing love that you did send your Son, and you knew, and He knew what would happen. And he willingly gave himself for us. I pray for everybody here. You know the hearts of every one of us here. And whether there's someone and they're saying, well, I'm far from where I ought to be. I'm far from right. Pray that they will cry out to Jesus. Knowing that when they believe in the Lord Jesus, they will be saved. Pray for anyone who has been settling for for a show, for looking the part. We know that while man looks in the outward appearance, you look in the heart. And so we pray that each one here would be right with you through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. We ask this in His name. Amen.